Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm supposed like to take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to hate it. How they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. Okay, so we have to do this because of all the mess that's been going on. You've been asking about it. Pat, we got to do a podcast. We got to do a podcast. And as crazy of a schedule as we're having, we decided to have it. And we got Barry Habib in the house. He's got a lot of numbers, 47 slides. We're not going to go through all of them, but we will go through <laughs> some go. Please, of them with data. Pat, all 47. He's no, got wait, some I jo- cut him down. I cut him down right <laughs> before I came. <laughs> I say He's got it. some uh, jobs uh, data that no one's talking about, some uh, numbers on uh, uh, rates. I know today I saw the report. I'm sure we all saw the, the lowest in 26 days. We'll talk about that. Tom, uh, you got a bunch of stuff going on with Silicon Valley Bank. Everybody does. Adam, uh, all of us here. Uh, with the news, I just did a, uh, what do you call it, a um, uh, Twitter spaces earlier with Mario on Twitter. Everybody was on. Everyone's commenting on what's going on with Silicon Valley Bank. It's been a scare. And today's market, I put a question, I put a poll in the morning. Will today end up the market being up or down? Hmm. 71% of the people that voted say the market's going to be down. Only 29% said the market's going to be up. You want me to update you on what's exactly. going on in the market? What is going on in the market? Rob, if you can pull it up yeah. to see how the market is doing, because the reality yeah. of it is... Everything's in green today. Very except, weird. Except except for the banking. Russell 2000. No, no, except for banking. Banking okay, is not individual banks. Today, everything yeah. else we go. is in a green today with the stock market. So having said that, having said that, I say mm. uh, uh, we just get right into it with... The main topic that everybody is talking about, which is Silicon Valley Bank, 16th largest bank in America to uh, 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 go uh, uh, fail. The last time this happened was, I believe, WAMU. And I remember WAMU was a roughly $330 billion company that Chase ended up buying for $1.9 billion. If you want to zoom this in so we can take a look at this, uh, zoom it in so people can see exactly the chart. Uh, uh, Rob, if you're doing it that way, we can't see it. Yeah. By the you way, when did we in. have the former CEO of Walmart? Yeah, we had him on. We had him on a few months ago. That was a few, and that was what talk about timing. And that's, yeah, you've you've gone on and on about what happened with Walmart and how disappointed and you were. It was you. Re- you remember what happened afterwards yes. in the interview? How upset his wife was and how upset him. I'm like, listen, his wife was not happy. This is what you did. This you were the CEO. This is why we're asking you. Right there is Walmart. If you look at the chart on the left. And the one on the right, if you can zoom in again, Rob, what you just did is fine. No, no, do what you did. Just go to the green. Yeah, if you can. Okay. Oh, Rob, we are way off today, buddy. You're normally good, but today we're... Rob slacking. Okay, it's all good. Let me get right into it. So the 16th largest bank in America goes bankrupt. The last time this happened, fails. The last time this happens was WAMU, $330 billion company. Chase ends up buying for $1.9 billion. Here's an article from... Uh, 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 you have the charts you're showing. Okay, so Silicon Valley Bank collapses and second biggest U.S. bank failure ever. This is an independent story. California-based Silicon Valley Bank was seized... By regulators on Friday, making it the second biggest bank failure in U.S. history since 2008 collapse of WAMU, which had $307 billion in assets when it was shuttered on 25th of September 2008, 10 days after Lehman Brothers failed. Silicon Valley Bank failed after depositors, mostly technology workers and venture capital-backed companies, started withdrawing their money, creating a run on the bank. The bank had approximately $209 billion in total assets and about $175 billion in total deposits. 
as of 31st December of 2022, this is Silicon Valley Bank, and it was unclear how many of its deposits were above $250,000 insured limit guaranteed by FDIC. 93%. However, 93%, right. There, uh, however, there is little chance of contagion in the banking sector at major banks of sufficient ba- uh, capital to avoid a similar situation. So this has scared a lot of people. Uh, I'll go to you first, uh, Barry. Based on what we know, what was your reaction? Were you surprised? And then we'll get into how we feel about the way they're handling it, whether it's Yellen, Biden, because he gave a speech today. So, okay, there's a lot to unpack here, so I'll just try and be quick here. So, so this bank had problems because in 2008, under the Dodd-Frank, they were allowed to invest in assets. Now, it wasn't a bad decision necessarily to invest in these assets, but what happened was that they were yielding on $82 billion worth of investments around 2%. Now, it's okay because if you're paying your depositors very little, you can make some spread there. But as you know, when somebody deposits money in your bank, you don't have all those assets on hand. You keep roughly 10%. The rest you lend out to try and make the arbitrage, to try and make the spread. That's how banks make money. The problem is, is that a lot of these investments were now underwater. You see, when you invest in a lot of the bonds that they invested in, they invested in mortgage-backed securities. So a 3% mortgage equals a 2% coupon because everybody takes a piece. So those mm-hmm. 2% coupons, I'm getting 2%. That's okay if I'm paying a half of 1%. I'm making money on it, okay? However... What starts to happen is as the Fed has maniacally raised rates without thinking about the consequences, they're not very good at unintended consequences, they now give people alternatives to move their money. So now you can move your money to a short-term six-month treasury and get 5%. So people start withdrawing money. Tech companies were doing a little bit more poorly, as we know. They start having less capital. There's less money going in. So what happens is that the bank now has to make up this money. Where do they get it from? They have to now sell assets. Here's the real craziness of it. They had on their books $12 billion positive, but it really wasn't. Because once you started looking deep, what they had was invested in these bonds that were now underwater. Under Dodd-Frank, these are considered now to be no-risk assets. So you do not have to report under Dodd-Frank unrealized losses. They had $15 billion in unrealized losses. This was not a solvent bank. They were $3 billion unsolvent as at the end of last year, which is why the CEO was selling stock, which is why you had insiders getting paid bonuses up front and early. Now the, they start to get exposed because Jim Cramer, an amazing five weeks ago, touts this as, this, as the stock you got to buy. Okay, it is. Un- Jim Cramer was out there Look doing at his thing again. Are you February, joking? February, I swear to you. Wait, February, no, no. Pull up yeah. the video. I, I got, we got the video. Pull up is the this video. the same Jim Cramer that compared uh, Sam Bankman Fried to Rockefeller yeah, or to no, no, uh, the, Andrew so, Carnegie? So there's actually an ETF, which is a contrary to Jim Cramer. But anyway, real, on point here. I'm sending it to you just so you know. So Jim Cramer on February 8th talks about how the stock's undervalued, how it has room to run, is his quote. It was at $320. Here's, watch this. Just okay, watch this. this. Put, yeah. put the audio so we can hear it. It's the Jim Cramer dead cat bounce. Watch this. Here today, this SVB Financial, don't yawn. This company's a merchant bank with a deposit base that Wall Street had been stakely concerned about. SVB, it's the old Silicon Valley Bank. Recently bought one of our favorite research firms, Buffett Nathanson, and it's become less dependent upon private equity and venture capitalist offerings. 
wait a second, those dried up last year, they could come back. Yes, some of them come back here, but the stock directly affects an oversold position. Stock was the fourth worst performer in 2022. I think the fears were not justified, and it's a very compelling situation. Hey, by the way, long-term private equity and venture capital, they're not going away. Being the banker to these immense pools of capital has always been a very good business. Stock's still cheap. Now, you have to remember that a stock that so falls just a 66%, few weeks ago. like February SPD 8th, yeah. last year, Five weeks. Well, it takes a lot more to Look recover. After losing two-thirds of your value, you need a 200% gain to get back to even. This is arithmetic. Some people call it geometry. So you could argue SVB's nearly 40% rally this year is barely a drop in the bucket. And that's how I want you to think it. That's crazy. I think it's also a good no, no, example no. of why these bounce-back moves might be far from over. These stocks could have more room to run. Especially if you think they were driven down to artificially low levels. That's crazy. Tax yes, it's crazy. Impossible. But, but Patrick, we should find the, the chart on this. But, but here's is a classic. This is SVB. It's a classic dead cat bounce. But he, he's right. But here's why this is significant. Yeah. Because this draws attention to SVB. Now, whether you want to think of it as investment or not, now people start digging in. And as people dig in, what do they see? They see this $15 billion in unrealized losses that they didn't have to report. But now that you dig in, and what do they start telling their clients? They start telling your clients, hey, you know what? This bank is vulnerable. I'd probably take my money out of there. And as deposits start now cascading out of there, this is where they have to raise money. They go to raise $21 billion, and they do because they have to. But how do they do it? They sell some of their assets. Now, when you sell those $21 billion, they cherry-picked them. Only $2 billion in losses. But now you have to realize those losses, right? So when people look under the hood, they say there's another $13 billion in unrealized losses. People start pulling out money in droves. They can't, make, they can't borrow money. The shorts are attacking the stock. They can't issue stock. And this is how it happens so quickly. So, so let, me, let, me, let me just give some of the stats. If you can show, uh, uh, have this here. 16th largest bank. 97% of the money at Silicon Valley Bank is not protected by FDIC. I've seen 93%. I've seen 97%. Whoever's right, one of the two. Either way, it's a Big lot number. of money. 12 days ago, like 13 days ago, the CEO, Gregory Becker, sold 11% of his shares. Daniel Beck, the CFO, sold 32% of his holdings. CMO Michelle Draper sold 28% of her holdings, around $5.1 million. If you if you post a picture of Forbes just seven days ago, this one right here. By the way, they took the tweet down. Just so you know, that's the one I posted. But yeah. they took it down. It just it just go to the picture I sent you. It's another one of those pictures I sent you, Rob. That should be on your phone. Uh, go one more. Go one more. Uh, right there. This Look at this. This right is their here. tweet. This is Amazing. six days ago. Proud to be on Forbes' annual ranking of America's best banks for the fifth straight year and to also have been named the publication inaugural financial all-stars list. They tweeted this. I retweeted this. They took it down because they obviously, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were retweeting this. This was all over the place. They don't want people to see just five, five days ago you're uh, bragging about this. So this becomes the question. There's a terminology called front running, right? You know what front running is. If you can pull up the definition of front running, front running, uh, uh, let's just read the exact definition. The practice by market makers of dealing on advanced information provided by their brokers and investment analysis before their clients have been given the information. Okay, this is, if an investor does this, what's worst is when you're in it, you're the guy that knows what's about to happen and you do it. Isn't this a crime, Tom, to do I, something like this? I, I'm on that page. I'd like to see an investigation. I'll tell you why. I am right here with, with Barry. By the way, great to see you today. Great to see you, brother. Is on March 1st, Becker 
was at an event in Los Angeles, and he said, we pride ourselves on being the best financial partner in the most challenging times. He said that, but he said that and then was heading to London where he was going to go get a Bank of the Year honor at this London deal on the 2nd. It gets better. He had already been told that there was a call coming from Moody's. Moody's had looked at a footnote that was in there. Because remember, they don't have to disclose everything in standard parlance in a quarterly earnings report, but they did footnote in the details page that they had the $15 billion. Moody saw that and came back and said, hey, we, we have a question. Are you, if you were to look at this as a mark to market rather than a mark to maturity, where are you at here? Because our assessment is we're going to lower you two ratings levels, Pat. Two. And he said, what do we have to do? You have to clean this up. And part of the plan to clean it up, exactly as Barry just said, sell $20 billion of it. But technically, that's depositor money. That was depositor money you put in the bonds. Now you have to sell the bonds. You're short. And then you have to cover the hole, it's called. Well, how do you cover the hole? Tell you what, we'll call some of our favorite venture capitalists and we'll issue some stock. Even though they were already down from 725 to 325 down 400 points in the preceding 12 months, and they're going to dilute that kind of a down. And so they went out to dilute it, but now we all know what happened. The bank run started. Um, General Atlantic, I think, was the VC that backed out on the half a billion dollars. They were, the getting advice, of- they were getting advice from Goldman Sachs, which was really bad advice the whole way down. And in fact, the management had changed. They became very, very smug. It used to be a great bank, but then they were like, we're, you know, they, they thought they were too good for themselves. They didn't try to endear themselves to any potential investors or venture capitalists. They were like, they, they were not friendly to the environment, so they, nobody wanted to invest with them. Mm-hmm. But to, to Pat's point about front running, you freaking know that you have footnoted your earnings report, Pat. He knew he footnoted it, and he knew that Moody's was in the lobby saying, we got to talk, and we may take you down two ratings levels, and yet he did this. I'm with Pat. I, I think there should be a deeper investigation on this. This term front-running, I've never heard this term, but we've all heard the term insider trading, and I, I Googled oh, no, front-running front versus insider trading, and it's actually the same thing. It says front-running is similar to insider trading with the minor difference in this case, that the broker works for the client's brokerage rather than the inside the client's business. So it's a form of insider trading is what front runner but is. This, but this is, this, is, this is even worse, though. Like what Nancy Pelosi and her husband get, you know, accused of is insider trading. What a lot mm-hmm. of these Congress people, how are you worth $140 million on a $160,000 salary? Okay, that could be wor- uh, uh, insider trading. Dude, you're on the inside. You know exactly what's going on. The level of audacity to go up there and collect it and then come back and say, hey, we got the bank of the year. Hey, guys, sell off because this is $13 billion. Let's do it quickly. Look what's going to happen. Over. And, then, and then now it's leading into where we are today. And by the way, when you look at their backgrounds of what they did, just kind of want to give you a background of what they did. The CEO was a director at San Francisco Fed. The CFO was a former analyst at Freddie Mac. The C- chief administrative officer, which you guys were kind of putting up, Lehman. he was a former CFO of Lehman Brothers. <laughs> the chief risk officer led credit ratings in 2007. The chief legal officer was general counsel at Citibank in 2008. So to say they have a star-studded lineup of people with experience to make sure a company doesn't make the mistake that Lehman Brothers made or others made, they have it. And they still 
did this. Before we go into the question that I want you to give your feedback on, you, you know, I want to talk about whether two hundred fifty thousand dollars is enough. Whether we need to increase that, I want to talk about a few things on the inside that I got an email from Goldman this morning. I'm going to share with you guys. I want to talk about Dot Frank, a video from Trump that's circulating about what he said in 2018, and a lot of people are blaming Trump for this uh, Midas touch and a lot of these guys, which we'll talk about that. Let me first go to our sponsors. Today's sponsor is Masterworks. Uh, if you guys have been following the content, you know at this point I've spoken about these guys quite a lot. I'm a guy that likes collectible cards. I like non-duplicatable assets, and the more people I spend time with who have money, they make a lot of their investment into art as an alternative form of investment that's getting them good rate of return. The challenges. Tom and Barry, a lot of times when you make those types of investments, people don't have the money to buy a $5 million piece of art or a $10 million Banksy or Warhol or whatever it may be. But what Masterworks does is allows you to buy shares of a piece of art. This just gives you an example of what some of their pieces have done uh, uh, in a rate of return, net rate of return. This is on their side. By the way, everything is... Uh, 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 approved by the SEC. If you go in there, you can read their reports. You can see what they've done, which which ones are qualified with the SEC and broken into shares. So uh, for me, if this is an area you want to get into, nearly 600,000 members are already taking advantage of Masterworks. If you want to be on the list and get through it, you can use our access to have uh, access to it with uh, what they're doing. Paintings are uh, uh, selling out fairly quickly what they're doing. Something for you to consider, especially with all the mess that's going on right now, whether it's art, collectible cards, things that are non-duplicatable, especially being verified by people that do that work for you, not you buying art and you don't know if it's real or not. They do all that stuff for you up front. You don't have to worry about it. Look up Masterworks. I'm going to put the link below, uh, Rob, for them to be able to take advantage of it. It'll be in the description and the chat. So going back at it. So, uh, Barry, you see the list of all these names of people, qualified, their background, Director of San Francisco Fed, former analyst at Freddie Mac, former CFO of Lehman Brothers, brothers, led credit ratings in uh, 2007, which is the chief risk officer, or former general counsel at Citibank in 2008. What are you thinking about them knowing if you had all this experience, couldn't you have prevented this from happening? Yeah, See, here's a couple of things. So, number one, they did not have a chief risk officer from April 29th till January 4th. Tom, am I right on that? That's uh, exactly right. Eight, okay. eight consecutive months. Eight consecutive months. So they did not have a chief. Why did you not replace your chief Are you risk officer? Me? They did not. And by the Laura way. Laura Izurieta stepped down from her role as CRO in April of 22. Yeah. So now you don't have a chief risk officer. you pull that up? But wait a second. What's happening at the same time? At the same time, your risk has increased dramatically because the Fed has now gone on a rampage raising rates until something breaks. And here something is breaking. So during that time, if you take a look from the four and a half months from June 15th, the Fed raised rates 300 basis points. In a seven and a half month period, they raised it 375 basis points. And in the last year, they've raised 450 basis points. You need a chief risk officer to what this is a mismatch in duration. Short term rates are going up and my long term investments are going down in value. I need a chief risk officer to deleverage that, not after they've gone up 450 basis points on the short end, but after maybe the first 75 basis points and after long-term rates start coming down. Start unlevering these things. Start putting hedges in place. This is what you're supposed to be doing to protect the assets of the bank. Yeah, it's wild you're showing this year. Laura stepped down from the role as a CRS SVP bank April 2022. Uh, what what paper is this? What magazine is this? Forbes and formerly departed the company in October, according to an SVP proxy filing. The bank appointed a permanent. By the way, here's what's weird: if you run a broker dealer, 
You can't run a broker-dealer without an OSJ, Office of Supervisory Jur mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You can't have it without a branch office manager or BOSs, depending on the size of it. How the hell is a company this size able to even operate? With Tom, that's very confusing to me, how somebody can operate without a CRO. It, it is. And we came from insurance, for people that are listening, and we had uh, Patrick had put, even though we were a FMO, very large nationwide FMO, Pat included in the management team, a chief compliance officer, which he wasn't required to do, but all the carriers had that because we always wanted to be one step better and look one step cleaner. And in this case, by the way, supposedly, Pat, she didn't leave in October. That's just her last day of pay. She left in April, and then there was like this period of time where she got her salary and benefits, but she wasn't yeah. in the building. So, so what is the, I wonder what the level of responsibility is to disclose this to investors and account holders to know we don't have a CRO in payroll right now. Is there any uh, disclosure that you have to disclose and let them know? Is do they have that kind of a responsibility, I'm or you don't know the answer the to that? Regulations would yeah. be, and, and if it was these 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 folks, probably footnote <laughs> yeah. number eighty-two, along with the fifteen billion. So, so you know, this takes me. If you were going to say something, I just, because I got a bunch of other questions. I, it, there's so many moving parts here, and. Uh, Every day, it's we're, we're learning more information. But from your guys' um, optics, is this is this fraud? Is this idiocy? Is this a lack of leadership? Clearly, these guys are all smart guys. They've been around the banking industry forever. What does this boil down to? You know, it's it's very hard to say. And without the benefit of knowing what happened behind closed doors, you know, you can only assume things, right? But it sure doesn't seem like this was run correctly. You know, you, you have to see these Fed rate hikes coming. You see the mismatch in duration. Mm -hmm. Somebody needed to step up and say, we have to make some adjustments or changes. While there might be short-term pain, we can't let this get out of control. Gotcha. And, and let me ask you one more question because you, you kind of threw it in there initially. And my antennas went up because you used the word that we all you learned in 2008 MBS, mortgage-backed securities. You said that earlier, and I was like, holy shit, it was a, we're going there again. No, no. What's that? These these are performing loans. There was no problem with delinquencies. This is just an interest rate move. So if somebody's back, think about how many 3% mortgages there were, right? So the coupons that they fall into is a 2% coupon. In other words, a borrower pays 3%, but by the time the originator, servicer, securitizer, everybody, Fannie and Freddie makes a piece, there's 2% left in the coupon for an investor like us, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you're a bank and you put a lot of your assets in, they're getting a return of 2%. I think their average return was like 1.86. Let's call it 2% is what they're getting. So if they're getting 2% on that, think about this. You're receiving two on a long dated maturity. You get That's the rate you're getting. But as the open market gets to three and four and five on the coupon, where it is now, is it five on the coupon? Who's gonna buy your 2% coupon? They will if you discount it enough to make things balance out. So at a discount, they'll buy it. But meanwhile, that's the $15 billion that they had in losses. So it wasn't always $15 billion. As rates were going up, maybe it was $1 billion. Maybe it was $2 billion. That's the time where you could put hedges. You could put puts. You can unlever some of that. That's what the chief risk officer should have been doing. And they've been living for so long under ZERP, right? Zero interest rate you know, policy. And... To buy for a bank, for a bank, think about it. On the balance sheet, they were holding it as marked to maturity. No bank can buy a bond and mark it to maturity because when it's when they're using deposits, it's part of the deposits. By definition, the deposits in a real 
tough economic situation have to be liquid enough to to be retrieved. So how do you buy a bond marked to maturity when you and let's say Barry and I have a bunch of real estate and we buy a bond marked to maturity and you guys and you say you guys were idiots you got it at two percent we're saying we're just holding it to the end we don't have to sell it so we're only going to make two percent but that's okay it's just going to pay out right and then we're going to get yeah. the principal back but if that was a situation where we needed it to be liquid then we get screwed and what was the screw the screw was 20 billion sold 1.8 billion loss that was what they had to pay off to the buyer. To get them to take it but, off their hands. But the held to maturity was allowed legally to be done by the Dodd-Frank regulation, which says it does not come off of tier one capital. So these are deemed to be held to mature. In other words, okay, the market fluctuation we just talked about, guys, if theoretically you held it until it got paid off or till it matured, you get 100%. You get par value mm -hmm. back. So there's no theoretical loss. But if you wanted to market, like you said, to the actual market value, there's a significant amount of loss in where it is. So what the Fed did by setting up this facility is they said, okay, we will lend against what you have. So what happens is they say, we'll take it based upon the par rate. We will not give you a haircut. But now you got to pay us. You got to pay us, you know, four and three quarters, 5%. Today's rate. Today's rate. You're getting 2% back, but it's going to eat into your profit margin. The other thing, Patrick, you said before, which is very interesting and obviously this is where we're going, is now at the present time, all deposits are insured, not just the mm -hmm. 250. Think about a small regional bank that today has to pay, and they can't maybe can't afford it that much, to pay that FDI insur FDIC insurance on all their deposits. What that may do is that, guys, that may force a lot of concentration. These small banks help startup companies. They help you. They're your local bank, right? That's who you have the relationship. Yeah. I mean... It could be where we see it like a utility, where they're all just concentrated and run by the government. So here, here, here becomes a question, which is kind of Adam. I think what you were what you were asking. Responsibility goes on who? If you if you think about this, the conversation we're having on the on the spaces was okay. Whose fault is this? You know, because right now they're calling it a they're not calling it a bailout. They're calling it what? Uh, it's just a backstop. A we're backstop. Just, we're, and by the way. Bondholders are probably yeah. screwed. Shareholders are probably screwed. We're protecting the people that deposited. But it's yeah. not a bailout, you know. But right. she's not. A, he's not a snitch, you know. It's not a bailout. <laughs> well, it's, so it's, 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 a, it's a bailout. It's a bailout. You can look what Yellen says here on page three. Uh, Yellen says no bailout for Silicon Valley Bank. We're not going to do that again. Treasury Secretary Yellen started the, uh, stated that the federal government will not provide a bailout to Silicon Valley Bank, but will work to meet the needs of depositors who stand to lose millions after the bank collapsed last week. Yellen signaled that government bailouts like those from 2008 financial crisis would not be considered, but the regulators would weigh a wide range of available options for protecting depositors who had more than FDIC amount of $250,000 in their accounts. Yellen tried to assure, reassure Americans that Silicon Valley Bank uh, collapse would not create a domino effect for other banks and that the core problem Silicon Valley was rising interest rates rather than problems with the tech sector. Okay, so in a way, when you, when you read this, they're saying it's not a bailout. Where does this money come from? Is, is this money... You know, money that's coming uh, that taxpayers are not going to be paying. What are they going to do? Just print it? Who pays the price for that? So here's here's the you know when you um you crash your car, Pat, and you have to tell your dad about it, and you're very careful about how you word what what, what was going on when you wrecked. That's what's going on here. She's saying it's not a bailout, meaning we're not printing money 
and we are not taking money out of Treasury to pay for this. Therefore, it's not a bailout. That's what she's clinging to. And I think they're full of crap. Here's what they're taking this out of what's called there's a hundred billion dollar exchange stabilization fund. That's to stabilize on emergency basis the markets. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did that $100 billion come from once upon a time? It came from Treasury once upon a time. It came from taxes once upon a time. So she's saying we're not going to make new printed money and new um, instant appropriations on the congressional budget. That's what she's saying. So this $100 million exchange to stabilization fund, she's taking $25 billion out of it and putting it there along with this brand new other device, the BTFP. P bank term financing program where they can now pay the difference between FDIC and the deposit in the event of a bank failure. So guess what? Now a bank can be irresponsible and say, well, we're not going to get sued by the depositors because the federal government's going to back them up mm-hmm. out of this thing. And it'll just be our uh, shareholders and bondholders that get screwed. So I, I agree with, I agree with Tom hundred percent. I just want to point out a couple of things on Yellen. So Friday, she said, the banking sector is resilient. That's almost like a Baghdad Bob comment, kind of like, you know, there's nothing going on here, right? Nothing the, to see nothing here, to see guys. Here, right. Because we make sure it's resilient. Yeah, right. And Inflation's now, just transitory. Just transitory. Nothing exactly. to see here, guys. So then what happens is on Sunday morning, she says there's no shot of a bailout. I guess somebody must have pulled her over on the side and said, hold on, Janet, this is much bigger than you ever imagined because now people can't make payroll. That's what yeah. people were freaking out at. How am I going to make payroll if the money's no good, right? So, because you could have two, three million in payroll. It's not uncommon for a lot of these companies. So now when when we talk about bailout, what they are doing truly is a bailout and here's why. If I have something that's worth $100 and I'm getting paid by the government 130 way above market and they say, "Yeah, it's okay for me to pay you 130 because 10 years from now you'll get the 130 back." They're theoretically not taking a loss, but they're holding it to maturity and they get it back. That's why they're claiming it's not a bailout, but they're paying above market for it. So therefore, it, it's, it is. There's no other way to look at it other than it is a bailout. They're paying above market for something should be worth. Let, let me ask you guys: with you know this whole reassurance and calming, don't you think it's sort of important to define and explain what a bank run is? Because that's essentially what this comes down to, no? Like you start to hear these terms, like it's a bank run. They're trying to avoid a bank run. And that's just what? Just the definition that. of a bank right run. There. I think it's bank two, runs happen. two discussions. Tom, let him read it. Go ahead. Bank runs happen when customers panic and everyone tries to get their money out all at once. Um, the author explains that what happened at Silicon Valley Bank leading to the second biggest bank failure in U.S. history is essentially what happened Did here. Did you see the lines of people outside getting their money? Like, literally. Have First you seen Republic those clips too. or no? First Republic. Yes, I have. Yeah. Well, isn't it true that 90% plus of Silicon Valley Bank's assets were above the 250000 FDIC yeah. insured? Meaning it was all major money from tech startups, millions and millions of dollars in there. So, isn't it sort of on the bank to diversify who it's getting its money from? I mean, I don't no, know how that. No, it's not on the bank. Uh, no, okay. no, it's not no. on the bank. No, this is not this. Okay, so who? So if you look at this here, this this is what, this what? is this is how I process this, yeah. Rob. If you want to stop because you're distracting everybody, just just yeah, we we're fine. We we don't need to see the video. So if you think about this, here's what I want you to think yeah. about. So in a situation like this, uh, Bill Ackman comes out and says what? It's not fair. This is not good. We should bail. We should. You should figure out a way to take care of the depositors and all this other stuff. And then David Sachs goes and agrees with them. And Vivek Ramaswamy, who was running for office, comes out and says, "No, this is a bailout. What are we doing?" And then, 
you know, David calls him out as a fox. You know, it's a very interesting back and forth between Sachs, mm-hmm. Ackman, Vivek Ramaswamy, and a lot of other people, right? Okay. All heavyweights. In all, their no, no, field. it's fine. It's all heavyweights. Yeah. But now here, here becomes the uh, thing to be thinking about. So when Benghazi happened, do you remember when Benghazi happened? How many people were killed during Benghazi? How many lives were like four? Four people, yeah. right? And and if you're an average person, if you were a Democrat, you said what? So well, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton did their best. I mean, what else do you expect them to do? They didn't do anything wrong. They tried so hard. They had sleepless nights trying to take care of this. If you were Republican, what did you say? Hillary Clinton, this is why she's this. She was sleeping. And she didn't even want her to get up and see what's going on. And that picture they posted with Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Barack Obama and all this stuff, that's just a picture for media they posted, right? Okay, great. And then the average person, three, six, 12 months later after the, ele- after the what do you call it, the election debates were done, guess what? They're going to the next yeah. news cycle. Hey, what's the next thing? Okay. Yeah. And people forgot about Benghazi. Guess who's never forgot about Benghazi till today? The four families. That the four them. families that lost somebody. Mm-hmm. Fathers, brothers, mothers, sisters, husbands, you know, all, wives and all this stuff that in this case, you're never going to forget this. So think about those four families. If you're related and one of those individuals was your son or your brother or your father, what do you think you're going to do the rest of your life? There may be vengeance in you. You may have a feeling of what? Revenge. Mm-hmm. You're never going to be the same. If your kid is going to say, I'm going to go to the military, your reaction is going to be more dramatic than an average person because you're experiencing that pain. Your hate towards a Hillary Clinton or a Barack Obama is going to be what? Higher than anybody else because it's your fault. It happened under your watch. Can you blame those four families? No, we can't blame those four families. However, let's bring it to the situation today. So um, as uh, Silicon Valley Bank, they, 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 they go through what they're going through. Fine. Who do you think cares about that bailout the most? People that have money with Silicon Valley Bank. Who else do you think cares the most? Those who have their employees that they're paying the salaries through Silicon Valley Bank. Who else? People who work for Silicon Valley Bank. They should care the most, okay? All right. Secondly, if you go to the people who criticize capitalism the most, which capitalists do they criticize? Those socialists or Democrats or low- and middle-income families that say capitalists, all they care about is what? Money and all this other stuff. Who do they criticize? This is exactly what they criticize. Because when you think about the the foundation of capitalism, there's four things. The foundation of capitalism comes down to four things. Mm -hmm. It's freedom to buy. It's freedom to try. It's freedom to sell. You know what the last one is? It's the freedom to fail. A lot of people at this level want the first three freedoms, but they don't want the fourth freedom. What's the fourth freedom? Dude, you failed is what you did. So what do you want to do? Well, we got to get our money and all this other stuff. Okay, fine. Now, some people will say, well, you can't say that. If it was your money, you would also be saying the same thing to get the money. I'm not disputing that. You're right. If I had money in there, I would be very concerned because that's my family's money. And rightfully so, just like you, if you're 72 years old, you're probably less thinking about what it is to be a barrier of entry or regulation holding people back from competing with these super centers at Walmart or Target or a financial code. You're probably more thinking about what? Medicare, MedSup, retirement, you know, uh, Social, Social Security. Security. And you should because that's 
what's affecting you directly, right? So I'm not judging the people that have money in Silicon Valley Bank. But it is a right criticism to say you want to be protected, but you go take all the risks. So what does this teach? So imagine in life how you create resentment for kids. I got four kids. If I discipline my oldest son more than in a different way than I discipline my youngest son, I officially create resentment between them two and from my oldest to me. If I discipline Tico for he does something and I take iPad away from him for two months, but the same thing Dylan does and I let him play iPad for two months, Tico's going to say, I knew he was your favorite. I knew he was your favorite. And today, the low and middle income families, guess what they're saying? I knew they were your favorites, Fed. I knew they were your favorites. You bailed them out again. You gave them money again. You they're right. Mm-hmm. You sit there and try this, to say the opposite does, argument. Yeah, but this does affect them, though, Patrick, because the payroll and then the contagion to other banks. You know, I think the banking system, the the shareholders who invest in the banks, they're not being taken care of. They're going to probably lose everything. The 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 uh, lo- people who loan money or the bondholders, they're probably going to get a fraction of what they invested. Maybe scraps. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. Right? Anybody's guess is good in mind. Bonds are first position. They'll probably get scraps. But but then. The depositors, that's that's the the everyday person. You know, mm-hmm. it's their money. And if it wasn't them Silicon making it, Silicon Valley the, Bank is not an everyday person's bank, though. Correct. I know, but but this but is not a community bank. But if it would this have been, not a this is a regional bank. There's only 27 regional banks in America. They're you, one of 27. But if you worked for them, you couldn't get paid because your payroll was in there. Well, guess what happens there? Here's what I would say: What happens with there? There's a guy named Jamie Dimon. Okay, mm-hmm. you know what Jamie Dimon did last Thursday with his bo- uh, bankers? Hey, guys, call every single one. We're doing an all-nighter today. Call every single one of the accounts and businesses that are with Silicon Valley Bank. Tell them to come over here. Here's what we're going to do for you. We'll take care of you. We're going to make sure your employees get paid. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Capitalism works its way out. Let me read you this uh, this note that the COO of Shopify sent out. Can you show the COO Shopify if you can read it? I'm going to read this message to you right there. Check this out. Go back one the other way. There you go. Zoom in. Hello, this is Kaz, Shopify COO. Reaching out. I know that we've already sent you an email. Your Shopify payments payout uh, going out to SVB and asking you to change your account on file. Please do that. I'm reaching out to also offer something else. If your funds are locked up and you have trouble hitting payroll, please let me know. We'll immediately open up a balance account for you and fund it with the amount of money your payroll so you can pay your people. Don't worry about signing anything now. We'll get lawyers to get paper things later. We won't charge you interest. We'll let, we want to help you pay us back with no interest when you're this is capitalism. So this is what I mean by a Jamie Dimon sees and says, okay, SVB Bank, you want to be irresponsible and reckless? You want to get, get an award and then come back? There is a reason why this morning, can you pull up the one with the, the, the I get an email this morning from Goldman, first thing in the morning. And I'm like, uh, 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 what's this email all about? That one right there, zoom in. Look at this. They rate uh, banks, the GSIB uh, you have to know what GSIB stands for. GSIB stands for Global uh, Syst- Systematic something here. Let me Important read. Important banks? Important banks. That's exactly what GSIB stands for. It's a, it's a cousin to CFA or whatever Yeah, it it's called Globally Systematically Important Banks. What a weak name, but that's what they call it. Go down a little bit so everybody can see it. So at the top, all the way at the top, meaning zoom in a little bit, and then we'll go from the top. There you go. Uh, uh, yeah, there you go. So the, the most stable bank they have, J.P. Morgan Chase. In a league of their own. By the way, what's empty above J.P. Morgan? Why is that? Meaning somebody hasn't le- le- uh, reached a level of 3.5%, which is gotcha. like the highest level 
is what they're saying. Nobody's an A plus. I no, guess is what well, they mean. J P Morgan Chase is an A plus. They just don't have anybody that has a perfect score. Gotcha. So J P Morgan Chase at the top. Then it's B of A Citigroup HSBC, which HSBC bought the U K branch of uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And then you have the next tiers, Bank of China, Barclays, BNP, Deutsche Bank, Goldman, Goldman Sachs. And then the next one you have, Wells Fargo is on that list, by the way, all the way at the bottom. So think about that. Wells is not at the B of A level. Wells is not at the Chase level. Wells is not at the C city level. A lot of times people think Wells is one of those. It's not. Morgan Stanley on a lower list. And then ING, you see some of these other, guy, other guys, right? You see Wells, by the way. Go all the way down. They're all the way at the bottom. You'll see them all the way right wow. there. So, so this kind of gets you to say, all right, we got to be careful. But this is my concern, and I want to ask the two of you guys here on what you say with this. So when you, when you look at Dot Frank, the video, can you pull up the video of Trump with Midas Touch? And uh, uh, they shared this, and there's a whole community right now, people that are saying, well, you would never show this on the podcast. There's no way you're going to talk about this on the podcast. No, we kind of like to see both sides of the argument. This argument is this whole situation with Silicon Valley Bank is Trump's fault, if he can play this clip. The legislation I'm signing today rolls back the crippling Dodd-Frank regulations that are crushing community banks and credit unions nationwide. They were in such trouble. One size fits all. Those rules just don't work. And community banks and credit unions should be regulated the same way. And you have to really look at this. They should be regulated the same way with proviso for safety as in the past when they were vibrant and strong. But they shouldn't be regulated the same way as the large, complex financial institutions. And that's what happened. And they were being put out of business one by one. And they weren't lending. Since its passage in 2010, Dodd-Frank has dealt a huge blow to community banking. As a candidate, I pledged that we would rescue these community banks from Dodd-Frank, the disaster of Dodd-Frank. And now we are keeping that commitment, and all of the people with me are keeping that commitment. We passed and signed a record number of bills terminating jobs. Okay, you can stop jobs. at this point. So, so when you see this, your understanding, if, you, if either one of you guys, Barry or Tom, what was the cause of Dodd-Frank? We know what happened under Obama, Barack Obama. What was the cause of Dodd-Frank? And at the same time, what credibility do you give to what Midas Touch and some of these guys are talking about saying if Trump wouldn't have deregulated some of these regulations in Dodd-Frank, this would have never happened with Silicon Valley Bank? It wasn't because the loans were not performing. It wasn't because of bad investment. It was a duration mismatch. It happened because the Fed went about a course to raise rates in an unsustainable manner without thinking about unintended consequences. If these would have been investments that were turning up bad, that's one thing. And then you could say, okay, the fact that what was done here, and I believe that it isn't spoken about in this clip, but I believe what they're discussing here is when he rolled back the reserve requirement of how much you'd have to keep for a small bank where it was uh, it was removed, that's that the reserve requirement, so that those banks could invest that money and wind up making more profitability which have which gave them options. It made for more competition. So I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just trying to outline it because I don't think that that really displays what what the what the ruling was that he removed. So if 
if these were bad loans that went bad, well, then you could go back to this clip and said, you know what? If you would have had more stringent rules and they made less investments, maybe they would have been smarter investments. Okay. But the investments were good. It just was a duration mismatch that wasn't managed. Tom, what would you say about that? Uh, two things. First of all, the game when you have a weak leader in the White House is the blame predecessor. So trains are getting derailed. Oh, Trump changed a ruling on one type of cargo, yet he's responsible for all trains derailing. Now this happens here. Oh, this would have happened. Wait a minute. Why haven't we had five or ten banks? If Trump created a situation where the banks could run willy-nilly, why do we only have one bad actor? Why? And that bad actor, Dodd-Frank, reserve requirement, forced to take capital if you're insolvent, no exotic instruments, transparency and reporting. None of that is present here in what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. These boneheads took $20 billion, put it into bonds, risk 80. officer leaves, nobody's paying attention to the portfolio, and then they end upside down in, remember, seven, less than seven months, Jay Powell moves the rates and they're upside down. So do they sell it in a panic right that? No, they hung on to it. See, guess what? He raised them again, and it, and it got worse. So I don't see anything under Dodd-Frank, and I'd love to see a teardown that says, okay, what specific red light did SVB run that was not present in Dodd-Frank light after Trump's move? By the way, I agree with you 100%. I think that's the question. Yeah, but, but also, Tom, let's remember, within Dodd-Frank, it gave SVB the ability to use hold to maturity and not take the haircut right there. They were able to declare that it was the total value. That's what the problem was. And a lesson nobody learned it from hit Mark the 15 to Market. Billion. Yes. If anybody has watched The Big Short, you know that Mark to Market, hiding in the background, is ultimately what kills big stacks. And mm -hmm. this, is, this was what exactly what Dodd-Frank allowed SVP. To do. So Dodd-Frank allowed for this. Yes, capital, it did. Not the other way around. Exactly right. Because Dodd-Frank allowed for the provision that you now, that $15 billion in loss, you don't have to take it as a loss. You could say, we're going to hold it to maturity, even though the market value, like Tom was saying, they didn't have to mark that to market. It doesn't come off your tier one capital. As long as it's in one of the assets that's deemed no risk, like an agency mortgage. It was a security. balance sheet footnote by and by way by law that's all they had to do rob uh, uh, rob just found this if we can take a look at this in 2018 the house passed a rollback of regulations in dodd frank by a vote of 258 to one not even close and in the senate 17 democrats joined republicans so this is both democrats and republicans joining together to get the bill uh, to Trump's desk and sign into law, mm -hmm. which raised the bill raised the threshold for regulation standards from 50 billion to 250 billion, which left less than 10 banks in the U.S. subject to stricter uh, federal oversight and allowed banks under 250 billion in assets to escape increased scrutiny. Go ahead. Well, I just since we're kind of dipping our our toes into the political side of things, you want to address what Biden said today? I kind of summarized this whole speech. I, I want to wrap this up okay. before we go. And, but here's the thing with, with this part for people to be thinking about. Uh, if 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 it, It's very easy for both sides to do this. This isn't a Republican or a Democrat thing. Both sides do it where they're like, yeah, but this was his fault. Yeah, but it was that fault. And probably everybody in this room guilty of, uh, of doing this before. Here's a challenge, though. For how long... Did Biden's administration have control of the House, Senate, and to be able to do two it? Years. How long? Well, if they had it for two years, how come they didn't do anything with this? You had two years. It's plenty of time. So if if you're saying, well, you know, it's it's this fault, well, then it kind of becomes your fault because you could have actually done something about it for two years and you never thought about this. So if that's the case, whose fault is it really? Or can we just set this thing aside and say, 
Let's deal with this direct to make sure this doesn't happen again to another bank today. But but my biggest concern of this before we go to the Biden speech is the following. Let me tell you what my concern yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Here's my concern. So my concern, uh, uh, I'm kind of debating in my head and I'm going back and forth, okay? And I'm trying to not stick to one side of the argument. On one end, I understand the frustration of people saying, hey, capitalism for the uh, you know, uh, poor and socialism for the rich. I get it. And on the other side, I'm like, okay, we do need more regional banks. We, we need more banks, period, okay? Uh, th- this crisis, to be honest with you, just made Chase a lot stronger, Right? If you think about this, this crisis, how many people in America had this conversation three nights ago, husband and wife at our, in bed, they're having this conversation together. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Uh, babe, the bank we're with, is it one of the bigger banks or is it a regional? Uh, let me find out. Hey, babe, it's a regional. Are we, what kind of, are we, we're a community. Oh, but did you, did you see what's going on? You, babe, look, let's just be safe and go to one of the bigger guys. Who do you think should go to? I don't know. Larry, my cousin said, go to Bank of America. All right, Larry, go to Bank of America. Hey, Johnny is at Chase. Let's go to Chase. How many people you think in the last week, that's the data I would want to know. How many people left smaller banks to go to the bigger banks? That's the risk. Now, some people may say, well, that's the right move to make. That is the exact way it needs to be. We need to go there. Let me ask you this other question. Do you think Tesla forced other car makers to innovate faster? Do you think Tesla was good for the economy? The answer is what? Of course it was. Absolutely. It made everybody say, we better get our shit together before this guy eats our lunch, right? Do we think, we we did a, uh, Rob, what did we do two weeks ago when we're talking about the weapon manufacturers where we showed how they went from 51 uh, 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 companies down to five. Do you know which one oh, I'm talking about? Incredible. The Javelin. Yeah, it's a lateral chart this way where it goes, doo, 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 doo. And you end up with only Boeing and Lockheed and... Do, do you remember that? It was 51. If you can look it up, see if you can find it. It was 51 companies that we had 45 years ago where the market could compete to see who to get their weapons from, who to get their, you know, anything they wanted. And it went from 51 to 40 to 30 to 20 to now five. Well, the fewer we have, the less competition there is. So there's more bullying. The fewer banks we have, believe it or not, socialists want that. They want it to be nationalized banking. They want that. That's more utility. of a control. It's of course, utility. that's more of a control by the U.S. government. Single-payer health care. It is by far the worst thing. It is by far the worst thing for you and I because they get to bully us. So, again, as much as this is, if I'm on the Democratic side and I kind of want to get my the top five banks to get stronger, guess what I'm doing right now? This is exactly what I'm doing right now. Get your money out of regionals. This is exactly. Can you zoom in, please? Thanks for finding it, Rob. If you can zoom in a little bit, look at this. This is showing we used to have 50-plus companies in 1980 to buy uh, 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 you know, aerospace, okay. any kind of weapons, anything we wanted, down from 1980 to 25. Lockheed, Boeing, Raytheon, Northrop, and General Dynamics. If we go the way we're going right now and the big banks use this crisis we all know the same by Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste. If they use this crisis, this is a great season for the bigger banks, the bigger bullies, to eliminate a lot of the community and a lot of the regional less banks. Less innovation, that's my concern. less competition. Yeah, that's what I'm concerned about. Isn't Tom, also thoughts? what we've seen in retail, though? I mean, it used to be mom-and-pop shops all over the country, and now it's Amazon, Walmart, and Target, if you're lucky. And Sam's. 
And Sam, so is consolidation that bad of a thing in general, or is it depending on the well, sector? An area that you need innovation, it is. You know, so so innovation, ideas. You, you, your banks are important. They're they're part of the fabric of life. You go to your local bank, you have a relationship with them. You know, it's it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, uh, we we uh, as much as uh, you know from the safety standpoint, the average person could say. That's exactly why I'm going to take my bank, you know, my money when go to a uh, bigger one. It is not going to long-term work out for uh, everyone there. You do not want that. If you look at the numbers, I looked it up earlier. A community bank in America, we have 2,258 community banks in America. This is ranges 10 billion to 100 billion. That's what they're cons- the community banks are that size. Uh, large banks in America, we have uh, uh, 38 of them. This is banks that are worth $100 billion or more. I think, uh, Chase, if you can pull it up, you had it earlier, Rob. It's a $3.2 trillion bank, uh, $3.2 trillion. In, there you go. Chase is $3.2 trillion in assets. Then it's B of A, City. Look, at even Wells is uh, at the top. They don't put it as safety all the way at the top. US, go all the way to the bottom till it gets to $100 billion, if you can do that, to see how many we got. Boom, boom, Silicon Valley, keep going. Yeah, there's 38 of them that we have. And in regionals, we only got 27 of them. Um, Rob, scroll back up a little bit. Let me just see the top 10. Got it. Goldman Sachs. We need, we need more competition. Mm-hmm. We definitely need more competition. The last thing we need is... Consolidation. Uh, we do not need consolidation. If you want to go into... Uh, 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 President Biden gave a speech earlier today. I think it was four minutes and 10 seconds, give or take. He talked about how deposits will be there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talked about the problems with bank. He brought up Dodd-Frank on what they did and how he blamed Trump. And he talked about unemployment under 4% for straight months. And he talked 14 straight months. And he talked about protecting depositors. So it's a very much quick four minutes, 10 seconds. Well, he, he also up. took credit for 12 million jobs created, which is always he did. Put, yes. back, put back the ones that went shut down with COVID During that COVID. came back. I mean, yeah. that, that's a very ridiculous statement to make. I'm I, sorry. I just took notes down specifically regarding the bank run and, and uh, Silicon Valley Bank. He said... The FDIC took control of all assets for the banks. And it, by the way, it wasn't just um, Silicon Valley Bank. What's the, what's the regional bank that, that also just went under? Silvergate. So, no, no, not Silvergate. Silvergate. Signature. Signature. Signature, Signature Bank. Bank. Signature New York. Silvergate was a, yeah. He's right. Silvergate was a week and a half ago, and they were a crypto bank. Yes. Got it. So here are some of the highlights of what Biden had to say. All customers are going to be protected and will have access to their money. There's going to be no losses to taxpayers. That's you know something he wanted to point out. And we talked about this earlier, where these fees are coming from. All fees we paid by the what the banks pay into this FDIC fund, um, that all management from these banks will be fired, and the investors into these banks will not be protected. And obviously mm-hmm. his overall goal here is to eliminate any stress and... Um, People freaking out for these bank runs we were discussing earlier. So it was interesting to me that he used it to point blame, but the blame is is misappropriated here. Let's understand what happened. The reason why the Fed, okay, so we have a mismatch in duration. That happened because the Fed was extremely aggressive. Why was the Fed extremely aggressive? Because they were overly accommodative and culpable as well was government, which was overly stimulative. In combination, they created this inflation. So you have the arsonist is now become the firefighter. Hmm. So this is where the problem is. Now, by the way, what the Fed did today, I applaud them. They had to save the depositors. I agree with that. But their moves to maniacally increase rates, that's like if somebody, heaven forbid, if somebody's ill and you say, okay, I'm going to give you some medicine. Five minutes later, you're not better. I'm going to give you another dose. I'm going to give you another dose. I'm going to... 
this is what they're doing because it takes a while for this to happen. I've got some stuff on inflation that they're trying to fight if you ever want to take a look at it up there that shows inflation's going to come down if they just understood how it worked and if they just saw what causes it to come down.